everyone to a new episode of In Check with Fintech, organized by the Payments and Cards Network. Um, with me on the show today is uh, Nick Frederick uh, from Rebar Technology. Nick, good to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. Um, maybe for the listeners, um, can you give a bit of a background introduction on yourself um, as well as uh, Rebar Technology? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been in the payment space now for a little over 15 years. Um, uh, really cut my teeth at uh, a merchant um, is where I started. Um, it was called Affinium Group, uh, based here in the U.S., a processor of membership clubs, loyalty programs, and uh, j just just various recurring product, recurring type products. Um, we actually had a, a division in Europe as well. I was responsible for global billing operations there. Uh, we processed a little over a billion transactions a year, so it was a very high volume environment. Uh, we we marketed our products through financial institutions, so that was really how we got to the end consumer, but through a lot of different products. And um, I, I had held various roles there in operations, finance, and IT. Uh, so got to see subscription and recurring payments from a lot of different angles. Um, once uh, once I moved on from Affinian, I joined WCapra Consulting Group, um, which is a, a, a Chicago-based consulting firm that focuses on payments and retail technologies. So I was able to take the experience that I gained um, over a decade at Affinian and kind of apply that to other merchants, help them with their subscription billing operations. And then from there, we saw an opportunity to really start providing some direct products and services into that space, into subscription payments and platforms. And that's where we started Rebar, which stands for Recurring Billing and Revenue uh, Technology Solutions. So we decided to take a little bit of a different approach. We launched Rebar and uh, here we are today. Great. And it's, I mean, it's quite young, right? You started in June last year, I saw. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we formed the company around two years ago. Um, we've been working on developing our product since then, um, which is a modular platform. And we launched it very recently. We've got our first merchants up and running on it. Um, we're really getting out into the market. So yeah, we are, we are definitely in the early stages of our organization. Great. What's the size of the company at the moment? How many people do you have working for you? Yeah, so we share resources across both sides of the house. Uh, Full-time on, on Rebar, we have uh, about a dozen people. Capra as a whole has a little over 100. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're small but growing. Nice. Where did the idea come from? I mean, there is other recurring billing and subscription-based solutions out there. Why did you think, all right, okay, well, we also have to start a company within that space now? Yeah, good, good question. So on the Capra side, um, we went through a lot of RFPs, uh, vendor sourcing, and then deployments and implementations of subscription billing systems for our merchant clients. And through doing those projects, what we saw was uh, most of the time when you get into the deployment, you start seeing the very detailed business requirements come out and business rules and, and things like that, which when you're talking about implementing a, a SaaS solution, uh, which is where most uh, find themselves going these days, is that there's just gaps in these requirements that that need to be uh, that need to be filled, and it comes down to either your service provider can develop a solution for you or work with you to provide a solution, or you, the merchant, have to work around it. Maybe implement some middleware on your own that can transform things and make the systems work in the way that you want it to. So that was really the impetus for why we thought uh, there needs to be a different way. And that's why we started Rebar. So I talked about modularity a little while ago, but if you think about all of the different components of a subscription billing system, 
uh, whether that's your product catalog and the way that you market things, um, your, your, your accounts, kind of your CRM, uh, the subscription component itself, when are you billing, how are you billing, what are the terms and conditions, invoicing, payments, uh, recycling, chargebacks, reporting, all of those different components. We decided to develop them independently in a way, of course, that they would plug and play nicely with each other but really give a flexibility so that either a merchant can come to us and say, hey, I really like my CRM, works great. I don't wanna rip that out, but I need a billing system that does it better and, than what I have today. And that's where we're able to plug the two things together. Or, or what sometimes happens is they say, I like your uh, reporting module, but I need these customized reports. So rather than saying, sorry, take it or leave it, we're able to customize things and develop them in a way that work for that particular business. So, you know, we focus on really probably the, the Fortune 1000 and, and larger, uh, I would say some medium and then larger enterprise type merchants on up, uh, but, you know, they have customized needs, right? And so because we're able to really be flexible with our platform. We sit down with them. We want to understand their business. We take what I like to call the consultative approach. No surprise coming out of a consulting company, but we understand the business, the use cases and develop and deploy a system that's unique for them. Yeah, great. We'll talk a bit more about the uh, rebar solution and, and how do you guys, what do you guys do to help uh, like large enterprises, Fortune 500 uh, merchants with, uh, with the solution. Um, but first, let's, let's talk about the topic. So the topic that we'll be discussing for most of the uh, show today is how can and why should companies pivot to a subscription-based business model? Why is that such a relevant topic today? Yeah, it, it, it's a good question and, and certainly relevant in the time that we're in right now, uh, the year that is 2020. Um, you know, I, any any organization that that markets directly to end consumers wants continuous engagement with those consumers right you you want them coming back time and time again i mean we've seen loyalty programs particularly in the retail space be prevalent for decades now um, i think we're starting to see them pivot away a little bit because there's saturation of that uh of loyalty programs in the marketplace but everyone still is looking for how can I continue to engage with that customer? And honestly, subscription is a great way to do that. Um, it, it's it's a it's a bond between that customer and a merchant in a way that is, is pretty unique because the the consumer is making a commitment when they enroll with your service, right? They're 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 signing up, they're accepting the terms and conditions, they're giving you their payment method, and on some sort of recurring basis, you're gonna be billing them, but that that's a real motivation right there for the consumer to continue to engage with your brand. And so in this time when consumers have, you know, just a proliferation of choices, um, regardless of the, of the type of product, um, you know, a subscription can be a great way to, to just get that customer engaged with you, and, and continually coming back because of that, uh, again, financial commitment that they made on the onset. Yeah, do you see that? I mean, you, you started with the company or you started to form the company two years ago. You obviously have a background in loyalty yourself. Have you now, like you said, it's, it's now super relevant because of obviously the uh, pandemic situation that we're in right. today. Has it changed? Has that interest or the relevance changed over those, let's say that two year time span since you started to form the company? Has yeah. that has the, has the relevance changed and has the interest maybe changed as well in such a business model? Yeah, I think it has. I think uh, it, it, it's exploding and I'll give you a couple of points that kind of back that up. Number one, I, I was reading an article in payments.com just the other day where, and, and this is already a month old, but 
96 million subscriptions have been added in the US since the start of the pandemic. Wow. Um, so, you know, you got a lot of consumers sitting at home. Um, they're looking for entertainment or in some cases, one, one of the categories or subcategories that's really taking off is training and education. You know, they see this as an opportunity to kind of uh, retrain themselves and and get a new education or maybe exp they're exploring a different field, but those types of services have really taken off. So, you know, you're, you're seeing just a huge uptake in subscriptions. And then in our industry, the, the partners that we work with and, and different service providers that are out there are seeing tremendous capital investment in their uh, in their platforms. Um, you see news coming out every day of tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars being put into um, subscription platforms or ancillary services that go along with it. So, you know, investors out there see opportunity as well. So there's a lot of a lot of investment and capital being put into these these types of systems. Yeah. Exactly. Very interesting. Um, is it suited for any type of business? I mean, you talk about the need training and education. Obviously, there's entertainment, yeah. the likes of uh, Netflix, who uh, I assume everyone knows. I think they announced sure. today or yesterday yeah. a big decrease, unfortunately, in the number of subscriptions, which compared to uh, the second, uh, the, the first two quarters of the year makes sense. I guess that there's a definitely a ceiling to be hit, but it was 25 million opposed to two and a half million, I think, uh, mm -hmm. this quarter. Um, yeah. Is it, I mean, for what kind of businesses is this best suited for? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I probably would have answered it differently even five years ago, but uh, I've, we've seen a lot of very creative approaches to using subscription or recurring models um, in, in order to reach end consumers. And a couple of examples I like to use, number one is the subscription car service. Uh, we've seen Volvo do this and Ford, where you can go to a website or download an app, um, go through the flow and subscribe to a car. You get maintenance and insurance and uh, of course the car itself all bundled along with that. So it truly is subscribe to a car, pay one monthly price and you know you get access to a car and everything that goes along with it, periodic upgrades and, and things like that. But I mean, who would have thought that it ever made sense to subscribe to a car, but uh, they've seen success there. Um, Dyson experimented with subscription to a vacuum. Uh, they um, have that model in Japan where you can pay a monthly fee and get access to a vacuum cleaner, of course, the maintenance and, and upgrades over time there. But I, just retail situations that you would have not historically thought this makes sense in a subscription model have, uh, have experimented with it into varying degrees of success, to be fair. But um, there's almost no limit to these days what you can think about delivering to the end consumer through a subscription model. What's the craziest thing you've seen being a subscriber or you could subscribe to basically? Uh, probably the vacuum cleaner was one of the crazier <laughs> things. I didn't think cars would work just because of the extremely high price point, right? You're talking about somewhere between $800 and up per month for, for car subscriptions. Um, but I think a lot of consumers just do the math, right? And they look at the total cost of ownership of, of, you know, insurance and maintenance and things like that, upgrades over time and go, actually, this kind of makes sense. And I like not being locked down and making a huge financial commitment up front uh, with something like that. So regardless of, you know, the, the, the size or price of your product, I think there's an opportunity to look at a, a subscription model there. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. 
If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. Exactly. Interesting. What do you see as the biggest opportunity that companies can capitalize on with this subscription-based model? Yeah, so th there's a couple of big advantages. Um, one is certainly the predictable revenue. Uh, once you get subscribers to your product, you know you have that set of customers that are going to be with you that you can count on over time to be there to... Uh, to provide that consistent cash flow. Um, subscription businesses are known to be great uh, cash flow generators. Um, you know, when you over time develop metrics knowing uh, how many subscribers you're adding per month based upon your marketing events, you get to understand your attrition rates or, or how quickly they cancel and, and churn. Um, but it just becomes this great predictable model to, to know where you're at as a business, where you can invest and, and grow your subscriber base. Um, but you know, just kind of just, it's a very different model from the traditional, you know, direct to consumer where you have to go out and sell those widgets every month. You got to do the marketing and keep the customers coming back, but you're really kind of crossing your fingers because you don't know exactly who those consumers are or when and if they're going to come back. So predictable cash flow basically is a big opportunity. And I guess that you talked about that in the beginning and you, of course, you have a background in it, but it seems that there's also quite some similarities with loyalty or maybe in a way subscription. Yeah based business model is sort of a loyalty scheme. Yeah, and that's that's a trend that I, I see really taking off here in our industry is really the lines between those two uh, crossing over a bit. Um, loyalty programs were known for being free to the consumer and rewarding customers for a continued patronage, right, over time to, when they continue to visit the business and, and make purchases. And, you know, certainly as it relates to fuel, uh, uh, groceries and some online purchases that that certainly makes sense. Um, what we're starting to see today is some premium membership programs overlapping with loyalty. Uh, one example here in the US being Bed Bath and Beyond launched a loyalty pro program where you pay a, a, a fee uh, monthly or annual, but you get access to some benefits, uh, free shipping, everyday 20% discount by being that premium member and paying. So, you know, for them, it, it serves two purposes. One, it's a it's a revenue generator in and of itself uh, from the customers that are paying for it, but it motivates those end consumers to continue to revisit their brand, you know, to shop with them in store and online. Um, they're giving away some benefits, but they're, uh, they're kind of buying that loyalty or creating that loyalty with the end consumer through that program. So it's very interesting. Um, it, we're also seeing that happen in the retail fuel space where, some programs are are in their infancy, but being launched that really motivate customers to come back. Coffee Club is is a big one for convenience stores uh, here, where you might pay ten dollars a month and get access to free coffee in a convenience store, but that gets the customers coming back time and time again to buy your fuel, to buy a donut to go along with that coffee or whatever it might be. Um, but seeing great success in those programs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what do businesses miss out on? if they don't have a subscription offering, at least if they're capable of offering one, of course. Yeah, it, it goes back to a lot of the points we've we've touched on already. Um, one being that continuous engagement that you want out of your end consumer. Um, loyalty programs can certainly do that and help, but you know, 
outside of redeeming the rewards, the motivation for customers to continually come back isn't necessarily there. There's no there's no harm in in them not um, continuously visiting your brand. But if a customer is paying for something, it creates that what I like to just call a bond between the merchant and that end consumer. In that, hey, I've made a financial investment in this company. I'm paying them on some sort of you know recurring basis. I need to utilize this. Um, so I, I just think it's a stronger relationship with the consumer from that perspective. And, you know, again, I, I said this before, but predictable cash flow is huge, um, especially, you know, in this day and age when we've got a lot of unknowns out there. We've seen big swings in the macroeconomic environment, which can wreak havoc on uh, certain types of businesses. So, you know, subscription really evens things out to a large degree. Uh, for a business and and it provides a higher level of predictability in very uncertain times. Right, a lot of advantages. Is it um, is it difficult to implement for a business? Um, let's yeah. say a business. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no. It's a, that that's a really great question, and I think that's you know where us and a lot of other great service providers out there can help. Is that it's it's a mind shift for an organization. It really is. Um, you probably, if you're if you're a retail merchant and are looking at subscription models, you probably don't have this expertise and experience in house to support that from a technology and operations perspective. Um, it, it just they're just two very different models. What we see common with subscription merchants is they have what what most call a billing operations department um, because it's so important to the lifeblood of an organization to bill your customers on that recurring basis and collect as many of those payments as you can. Um, our industry refers to the recurring payments as merchant initiated payments because the merchant on that recurring basis isn't necessarily live on the other end of that transaction, starting it off or initiating the payment. You're initiating it as the merchant due to a pre-arrangement you have with the consumer to, to build them on a recurring basis. So when payments decline, how do you handle those? What, what are the decline codes you're getting back? Are you recycling those transactions to try to reauthorize them? What are your business rules around that? Uh, can your system support it? And are you maximizing just every dollar that you can? You know, it takes a lot uh, more investment to get a consumer or, or a subscriber, a member than it does to retain them. So you want to put as much uh, focus on retaining those customers as you can. It, it really pays off in the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing, and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, there's quite some technology providers out there. Do you see big merchants, especially if you focus on those large Fortune 500 merchants, right? Do you see them say, now we're going to build it ourselves? I mean, there's, I guess Amazon to an extent has it, of course, but and yeah. there might be a few others. But do you yeah. see a lot considering to build themselves or did they say, no, we're going to outsource this because of the complexity uh, that it has? Yeah, a, a little bit of both. Um, I would say certainly traditionally, uh, larger merchants for sure would go out and greenfield build out their own systems and, and for the amazons of the world you know that certainly makes sense um given their scale but 
the, the reason uh, our subscription technology industry has proliferated and, can, and continues to grow is because a lot of merchants know, number one, I don't have expertise in this. And number two, this isn't my business. You know, my, my business isn't really billing customers and, uh, you know, maximizing every dollar. My business is providing OTT streaming service. My business is uh, a box of the month club that provides, you know, dog food or, or whatever the case might be. And they really want to spend their capital dollars focusing on those efforts rather than building out a subscription system, especially when 90% of what they need is the same as, as others in their space. So why continue to reinvent the wheel when there are service providers out there who do this, who focus on this, who stay on top of things, invest in their technology, keep on top of the regulatory environment to, to work with their merchants and ensure that they stay compliant. So it makes a lot of sense for, for a lot of merchants to just outsource that function, either as a managed service or at least as a technology platform to those that are the pros at it. Yeah, exactly. So when then, when there's companies who are considering doing it externally, and maybe some of our listeners are, or something that they're interested in in general, I mean, what are the pitfalls when you when selecting such a subscription technology? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, kind of go back to uh, you know our consulting experience in this space, and and what we saw time and time again was you rush through an RFP, don't necessarily sit down as a business and understand what are my requirements. Um, not just from, you know, the basic uh, subscription components, but bring the product team in, bring the finance team in, the product team, the, the, the technology team, and of course, operations, because everybody has a, a, a voice in subscription payment operations here, uh, whether that's reconciliation, how you're going to uh, market and offer those products, and then how you're going to operate and scale your technology over time. So it's really important to bring all the stakeholders to the table and flush out what those business requirements are, both today, how your business operates today and how you see it operating in the future. If you see yourself uh, diverging channels, maybe you're a fully online company today, but you want to explore direct mail or some other direct to consumer uh, channels, you know, the business requirements around those are can be very different. Um, so knowing where you're going as a business, capturing all of those requirements before you go to market and try to find the right service provider is really, really important because the pitfall becomes you make a decision based upon today or what you think you know today. You get two, three years down the road with a set of service providers, you want to pivot or scale as a business and that provider can't do it along with you for, for a variety of reasons. And, and you find yourself backed into a corner um, and it, it's very costly, expensive and time consuming to switch service providers because you become very ingrained with each other because you're operating on a daily basis. And, and so making better informed decisions upfront when you're at the beginning or starting to scale, I think is really, really important. Yeah. What's the appetite for it? I mean, it sounds like indeed businesses, um, no matter which size, if they are not on a subscription-based model, then it's a, it's a turnaround of the organization or maybe adding a new business line. Yeah. How, how much appetite is there for that? I mean, the advantages are there, but uh, what's yeah. the appetite like? I, I think it's very, very strong. Uh, a lot of times this um, desire to explore subscription, if they don't already, comes from the product or marketing department, right? They see a competitor doing it, or they see some other just similar type product or service going out in a subscription model, and they think, oh, we should take a look at this. 
Um, and so they get real excited about it and they immediately go out and want to test it as quickly as possible. So they make short-term decisions. So they might go out, uh, you know, search the web, find a subscription platform that makes sense that, for that particular test, put in their credit card number and they're off and running. And that in a lot of cases makes sense from a test perspective, if that's the approach that you want to take. But if things become successful and show promise, that's the time where you almost need to take a step back and really think about where you're at and where you're going, because these immediate short-term decisions have long-term implications in subscription. They tend to become the platforms, the service providers, and the people that you rely on uh, to be successful. So setting the stage for success as you add subscribers and grow that business is, is really, really key because we've seen time and time again, businesses grow. They get, to a, they get to a place where they want to take that next step, but they're held back by really the weakest link in their chain, um, unfortunately. And like I said before, you know, making a switch and, and going to alternative provider down the road can be, can be very painful and very uh, time consuming uh, if you need to make a switch. Yeah, exactly. And again, this is why, to your earlier comments, it's important to... Uh have people from all departments um, be involved in, in such a decision and such a change and gathering the right uh, business yeah, requirements. That, that's, definite, that's definitely a pitfall we've seen time and time again is not bringing the right uh, people from the organization into that conversation. And then you get into the deployment phase and finance raises their hand and says, wait a minute, I need to do cash reconciliation. You guys didn't get my requirements. I need you know A, B, and C, and all of a sudden everybody's scrambling to it to solve for those requirements. So yeah, it's it's important to bring all the organization stakeholders to the table. Yeah, great, very insightful, uh, Nick. Let's go back now to Rebar. You talked a bit about it, uh, what you guys do, and and how you guys going about offering such a model. But maybe a bit more. I mean, what do you guys do to help companies with setting up as a subscription based uh, operating model? Yeah, I touched on this a little bit, but the thing we like to do is is sit down and have, you know, those working sessions at the beginning to really engage, understand the business, um, where it is today, how it operates, uh, you know, map processes out if they if things aren't aren't documented or well understood and just understand the current state, right? How does your business operate today? Uh, what are your subscription products? What are the terms and conditions? What is the customer service look like? Do you operate a call center? Do you you've farm that out to a third party? All of these questions that we'd like to sit down and ask and, and really get to understand the lay of the land and how things look today. From there, we'd like to move into the future state, right? And this is where you start to talk about the art of the possible. Um, where do you see this business going? How do you see it scaling? What are your marketing channels? Do you want to expand the product set and the way that it's offered? Um, do you want to explore free trials if you're not doing that already? Uh, gifting, um, seasonal subscriptions, rateable billing, you know, all of these different things that you can look at um, to be effective in the market because consumers want choice, right? They don't want to be just given one option uh, for, for your service. They want to see multiple that makes the most sense for them. You know, something as simple as monthly versus annual billing. Um, can be effective given, given discounts to certain consumers if they're willing to sign up for an annual term. So all of those things that you want to just explore to know where do we see this going, what that future state is. And then from there, you know, let's look at the organization. How, how are you structured? Do you have people that focus on subscription operations that understand that um, in and out, uh, know how to work with vendors in the space, ask the right questions and manage them? 
And then, you know, we look at all of the gaps between what you have today and where you want to go and then work with you to help fill them. Um, so maybe we're going to help you write a job description to go out and hire a director of billing operations, or maybe that's not something you want to invest in right now. And we can be that for you for a period of time. Um, so we certainly provide those types of managed services. And then, like I talked about before, from a technology perspective, our platform is very modular. So we're able to work with you and say, okay, of these 10 aspects of the subscription lifecycle, you've got eight of them covered really well. You've got these either providers or systems that, that meet your needs, are able to scale and are gonna be there for the future, but maybe these two particular areas, um, call it transaction recycling or invoicing, where you have some gaps here. This doesn't exactly meet your need. We're able to plug in those components. So I think flexibility from our perspective is, is one thing we're really strong at, um, being able to understand our merchant, and not not reinvent the wheel. You know, we don't we don't require that you rip out everything that you've got today and start over uh, with us. We're we're very flexible. We want to do what's right for for you now and in the future. So you know, again, I'll say it again: taking that consultative approach and and making the right informed decision for those merchants is is what we like to do and how we approach things. That's great. So you, you don't just offer a solution, basically, but it's, it's really a full service, right? You really look at screen the company, if you will, sit down with the right people within uh, uh, certain teams and look at the right, okay, how can our technology be complementary to what you look to do? What do you need to change? What kind of advice can we give? Indeed, be more, well, very consultative, but definitely also more consultants, uh, given your background. Exactly. It's exactly right. I think that's a big differentiator for us, especially coming out of a consulting company. We understand those processes, how to work through those things and really extract from a merchant, ask them the right questions so that we're able to understand them and just ask those probing questions that, that flush out the current state and the future state. So yes, it's very much uh, an advantage that we have coming from a consulting company. But uh, yeah, that, that, that goes into everything that we do, um, how we deliver our, our technology, how our team operates and interacts with our, our customers. You know, you're not going to get an 800 number with us to call. And, and when you have questions, um, you're always going to work directly with me and my team. And uh, yeah, that's that, that's definitely our, our approach that I think is a little bit different than what you typically see out there in the market. Yeah, great. It, this and the, the modularity that you talked about earlier, are those the main differentiators uh, compared to other of your competitors or are there other things as well that, that, that make you different? Yeah, I think it's those two, two uh, big things for sure, the consultative approach and the modular platform that you see a lot of SaaS service providers out there today um, that provide either full service subscription lifecycle management or maybe some component of it, right? Whether it's it's the recycling, um, representment of transactions to try to maximize your revenue or whether it's the product catalog side, certainly on content delivery, um, when it comes to digital services, um, there's many service providers out there. Um, but a lot of them are what I call a walled garden, right? They, they have a way of doing things. They have um, certain systems and processes, a, a lot of configuration that you can do, but um, it's kind of a bit of a take it or leave it type approach, right? If that doesn't, if that platform doesn't do what you need it to do, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to work around it. So that, uh, that flexible approach that we take, I think is a, certainly a differentiator and uh, something that makes our approach unique and right for a lot of merchants. That's really cool. What's your focus at the moment, uh, Nick? I mean, are you predominantly focused on um, the US at the moment or do you also have uh, clients who are European based or maybe Asia based or yeah, what do you guys focus on in terms of uh, geography? 
Yeah, so so certainly the lion's share is coming out of the U.S. for us, um, just primarily because of where we're based, but we've worked with merchants all over the globe, uh, U.S., Asia, definitely Europe, uh, Latin America as well. So we have experience in all of those areas, and each market definitely has its unique uh, unique things about it, uh, unique payment methods, the way consumers like to transact. Subscription takes very different forms in, in different markets. Uh, for example, Latin America, because they don't have the pro proliferation of credit cards that you see in the US, uh, Canada and Europe, they tend to like um, not what you would call continuously recurring payments, but maybe for some sort of fixed period of time. They tend to use payment methods that uh, that don't really aren't as conducive to continuously recurring payments. So uh, you have to take a different approach in each market, know the consumer, know what their expectations are and how they're able to transact. But yeah, we've, we've worked uh, cer certainly all over um, focused here in the U S and, and our, like we talked about before, we're a couple of years into this from a technology perspective, but we have 20 plus years as an organization of working with merchants and, and understanding the requirements and, and developing and deploying solutions. So uh, we're ramping up quickly, but uh, we're excited to get out there. Very exciting. What's next? What is next for Rebar? What are you guys uh, looking to do? What do you have in the pipeline in terms of product development or maybe announcements, stuff, exciting stuff coming up? Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're definitely growing. We're, <laughs> I feel like we're in a perpetual state of interviewing and bringing developers and delivery managers and product managers onto our team. So that's a, that's a very exciting, but also stressful time uh, while, we, while we scale things up here. You know, from a product perspective, we continue to add new modules to the platform, new integrations with other third-party service providers, whether that's tax systems, uh, email service providers, certainly merchant acquirers that uh, process payments for our merchants. We, prior, we have our roadmap where we'd like to see things go, but we certainly are flexible and adjust that based upon the needs of our merchants, our clients, uh, what their needs are, who they want to work with and what integrations they need. So we remain flexible there uh, throughout. But, uh, you know, we're definitely scaling things up. I don't know if I touched on this, but uh, we are entirely a cloud native system. Uh, we don't operate a data center. Uh, we work with uh, primarily AWS, but Azure as well. Uh, as an infrastructure service to, to deliver. But why I bring that up and why I think that's important is they've become so effective at delivering IT infrastructure in a PCI compliant way that we're able to really just focus all of our effort on delivering business value and what the platform does, how it serves our merchants, and we're not we're not patching servers all day in the background, right? We're we're developing and adding features and functionality to our applications, and really, like I said, focusing on delivering value. So uh, we're not bound by tech debt and and things like that. So uh, it's a very exciting time. The cloud enables you to do what you do best. Exactly. Nice. Great, Nick. Well, thanks very much. I mean, if, if our listeners want to know more, more about want to find out more about you, about Rebar, about uh, WCAPR Consulting Group, where where can they find you? Sure. Yeah, they can definitely visit our, our website, rebartechnology.com, uh, wcapper.com, our sister company's website. Uh, like, I like I said before, though, we love to have conversations. So uh, we encourage uh, people to reach out, set up a call. Um, they can fill out the form on the website or email us info at rebartechnology.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have a conversation. Great. Cool. Well, thanks, Nick, to, for being on the show. It's been very insightful. Thanks for, uh, for all your um, um yeah, kind of uh, insights, if you will, um, as well as information on Rebar. Sounds like you guys have some exciting plans or an exciting uh, state of growth as well. Uh, thanks yeah. for being on the show. 
Absolutely. Thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to share. Of course. Very welcome. Um, and thanks to the listeners for uh, listening to this episode. Um, if you want to uh, listen to more of our episodes, um, look at our Spotify page or our iTunes page. Um, and until next time, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from a partner, Free a Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freegirl.com for more information. Thank you.